0: Hi, I'm Lindsay. And
1: I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery.
0: Today, we're talking koalas. We're looking past the cuddliness to discover how they eat a food that's toxic to most animals.
1: Wait, koala food is toxic?
0: It is. So today, we're going to hear the story of some very picky koalas and the scientists who came up with a weird way to get them to try new foods. So, most people think of koalas as one of the most legitimately adorable creatures on the planet, but I talk to a scientist who sees them quite differently.
2: Um, they're basically just a big bag of guts.
0: <laughs> That's Michaela Blyton. She's a biologist at the University of Queensland in Australia.
2: I mean, you think of a koala as being soft and squishy, and that's sort of why they don't have a huge amount of stomach muscle. They just have a lot of guts.
1: (laughs) I thought it was just really that they're stuffed animals brought to life.
0: Nope. 100% furry bags of guts with a cute head. And what's in those guts is the secret to how koalas eat their famous diet.
2: Eucalyptus leaves are really tough they're really fibrous, they're not very tasty. They have a lot of toxins in them and not a lot of good nutrients. And so they're really hard to eat and really hard to live off. And most animals can't. Somehow
0: koalas eat only these toxic leaves and nothing else.
2: And so that makes them very interesting as how do they manage to do that? And that's where their microbes come into play, the bacteria that they have in their guts.
0: Just like humans, koalas have bacteria or microbes in their guts to help break down food into energy. But Michaela has discovered that they can also turn koalas into very picky eaters.
1: How did she find that out?
0: With two fascinating experiments and a lot of koala poop. The story starts in the midst of a koala crisis in a place called Cape Otway.
2: Cape Otway is at the bottom of Australia, and the koalas there have actually reached a really, really high density. There's an awful lot of koalas there.
0: Cape Otway sticks out into the southern ocean. It's bordered by gorgeous beaches, and beyond the coast, there's forests of eucalyptus.
1: Making uh, Cape Otway a perfect koala paradise.
0: Yes, there were drinks with umbrellas for all. But a few years ago, that all changed.
2: What happened was that in 2013, the number of koalas got so high that they ate all of the food that they had, all of the trees, leaves, and killed the trees as a result because they had no leaves left. And from this, it meant that then the koalas had nothing left to eat, and very sadly, meant that a lot of them actually starved.
1: Oh, yeah, that's really sad.
0: Even though koalas are a vulnerable species in other parts of Australia, Cape Otway had the opposite problem.
2: There were just koalas everywhere. I mean, we have one photo of 26 koalas sitting in a single tree. They were literally everywhere.
0: Normally, biologists expect to find one koala per hectare, which is roughly the size of a baseball field. But at the height of the koala crisis, you could see 20 koalas in one hectare in Cape Otway.
2: So there are 20 times more koalas than you would normally find in the same sort of forest.
1: You know, we all sort of hope that we'll come home to find a koala infestation, but apparently it wouldn't be as cute as we think it would be.
0: Yeah, especially when it comes to the actual environment. The koala population in Cape Otway devastated the forests, which hurt the wallabies, bandicoots, and birds that live there too.
1: So what did people do to help the koalas in the rest of the ecosystem?
0: The main conservation strategy was to catch the koalas and move them to a different place where there were fewer koalas. But when Michaela visited Cape Otway in the midst of the crisis, she saw something that made her wonder what had really happened there.
2: So it's quite strange walking through it, because you're walking through all of these dead trees, and then all of a sudden you walk into this lush, healthy forest.
1: Wait, there there were trees that koalas didn't eat? Like, everything else is devastated but just this one thing?
0: Yes, and this is a really important thing to know here. There are over 900 species of eucalyptus tree in Australia.
1: Wow, I really just thought there was just one kind of eucalyptus tree and it was called eucalyptus.
2: (laughs) Me too. So in terms of Cape Otway, there are two species of eucalyptus there. There's manigum.
0: Managum is a species that the koalas were chowing down on. It's relatively high in protein, which is what we all need to stay healthy.
2: Whereas the other species, which is called Messmate Stringy Bark, it's quite fibrous and quite low in protein.
1: I mean, I understand why they wouldn't want to eat that. Who would want something called Stringy Bark? Maybe, maybe they should package it differently. Call it String Bark, and they can peel the bark away and like have. Kind of like a string cheese cheese thing. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. There we go.
0: But marketing issues aside, most Cape Otway koalas took a strong stance on Messmate string bark. They would literally rather die than eat it.
2: When this population got really, really high in abundance and they ate all of the manna gum, they didn't start eating Messmate. And this was really confusing to us because... There are some koalas down there on the Cape that live in messmate and feed only on messmate for their entire lives. They actually prefer it to the manna And so we looked at this and went, why are these koalas starving? And yet this other bunch of koalas are sitting over here munching on the messmate quite happily.
1: So like are the manna koalas just like super picky toddlers in disguise like refusing to eat anything but macaroni and cheese?
0: Or
2: maybe they just didn't know how to eat it. Some people thought well maybe they just don't eat Messmate because they don't know it's food. I never really felt that was likely because if you're starving you're kind of gonna try things right?
1: Yeah, I sort of imagine that's how come we eat lobster now. (laughs) Like, who else was going to be like, oh, that looks like food.
0: (laughs) Michaela was skeptical of this they-don't-know-it's-food idea. But she wanted to test it out. So she and her colleagues caught some of the Manigum koalas and put them up in a mini koala hotel with an all-you-can-eat buffet of messmates.
1: And I hope linen sheets.
2: And when we brought them in, we thought... Let's just see what they do with Messmate. We haven't given them anything yet, just just see what they do. And what we found was that you put some Messmate in their enclosure and they go, oh, what's this? It's something new. And they chow down on it. The next night you give them Messmate, they go, not so sure about this. And they don't eat very much of it. The third night they eat even less.
1: So I guess the koalas, like, when they were leaving their reviews on TripAdvisor of the koala hotel, like, they were probably like, you know, accommodations, four stars. (laughs) The the tree life, yeah, okay, five stars, but man, the food would not go back.
2: (laughs) So what we found was that over time, they learnt that they didn't want to eat Messmate. At first, they thought that it was food, but then when they ate it, they probably felt sick, and went, oh, okay, maybe I won't eat that anymore. That's probably not a good idea for me.
1: So Messmate gave them the tummy troubles, which I think we all can relate to that.
2: It's like you and barbecue.
1: (laughs) or anyone who's eaten like a jalapeno casserole.
0: (laughs) So it wasn't just that koalas were bad at recognizing what was food, and so Michaela started thinking about their microbes.
2: What we thought was, well, we know that the gut bacteria that koalas have are really important to helping them digest their food. And we thought, well, we know that some koalas have different microbes to other koalas. Maybe the microbes that the manogum koalas have just aren't able to cope with the messmate.
1: Hmm, so it's like uh, some koalas had a messmate allergy.
2: Basically.
1: They're messmate intolerant. <laughs>
0: But to really understand Michaela's hypothesis and how she's about to test it, let's talk a bit more about my favorite subject, koala guts.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So koalas have a really, really massive colon and a really massive cecum.
1: Okay, so I know what a colon is. That's the large intestine where you keep your poop. But what's a cecum? It's basically the
0: holding station in a koala's digestive system, where the microbes swirl around, slowly breaking down the eucalyptus.
2: So their cecum is actually about 1.6 meters long. So if you think about a koala, a koala is less than a meter long.
1: Oh, wow. So koalas really are a bag of guts.
2: Yeah, but baby koalas, so
0: adorable, aren't born with these great microbes just ready to go.
2: They get it from their mamas. So to make sure that the babies get the bacteria they need, the mother produces something that we call pap, which is basically really, really sloppy poop.
1: Are we doing another poop one? <laughs>
2: yes,
0: yes we are.
1: I came here for cute furry things.
0: And you're staying for the poop. <laughs> All right. This pap that Michaela's is talking about is like the transition food from the milk that baby koalas drink while they're inside their mother's little marsupial pouches. It contains the microbes that will help them eat eucalyptus.
2: And so what the baby will do is it will stick its head out of the pouch and it will nuzzle at the mother's cloaca until she starts producing this and then it'll hoe down on it.
1: Wait, so you're telling me that the baby koala eats its mom's poop?
0: Yes. And it basically is nuzzling the mom's butt until she poops. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, hey, Mom. Hey, Mom.
1: Hungry. Hungry. Let me just poke you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever look at baby koalas the same way again.
0: <laughs> Anyhow, Michaela knew that these mama microbes set the table for what koalas could eat later in life. And she also knew that it was really unusual that a whole group of koalas would eat only one species of
2: eucalypt. And again, that brought us back to the microbiome and wondering whether changing their gut bacteria would allow them to expand what they could feed on. Meaning,
0: could new gut bacteria allow them to eat mess mate?
1: Without hurting their adorable koala tummies? That's an interesting idea, but how do you give a koala new gut bacteria?
2: With a poop pill. <laughs> Can we call it the poop pill? <laughs> the poop pill, yeah. That, that would be very appropriate.
1: Hold on. Like, a poop pill? A pill? made of... poo?
0: Yes, a poop pill. But it's not as wild an idea as it sounds. Michaela was inspired by human fecal transplants, which has become almost a standard way of using the bacteria found in poop from a healthy person to cure gut diseases in a sick person.
1: This is all familiar to me. If
0: you've listened to our episode on the science of poop, you know what we're talking about.
2: So we went, mm well, it works for humans. We can get, you know, new bacteria into a human. We've seen that in rodents, you can change what they'll eat by changing their microbes in this way. Wonder if it works for koalas. So Michaela
0: and her colleagues set out to make, for the first time ever, a koala fecal transplant.
1: So is there like a standard recipe for poop transplants?
0: I'm not sure if there's a poop transplant cookbook, but the main ingredient is definitely poop.
2: And we found these koalas that always eat messmate. And so we thought, okay, they have the right microbes. They eat messmate. Then what we did was we literally put a piece of shade cloth underneath the koala, came back the next day and looked what they'd left for us.
1: What was it? Like some kind of gift? Maybe a sweater? A gift card to Starbucks?
2: (laughs) Surprise! It was poop. (laughs) Oh, who could
1: have guessed? Exactly what the scientists wanted.
2: So we collected their pellets, their fecal pellets.
0: They took these pellets back to a lab and spun them around really fast in a special machine. The spinning separated the undigested leaves and other gunk from the good stuff, the bacteria.
2: And then what we do is we scrape off the little bacteria and those little fine particles from that top, and we put that into the capsule.
1: And that's the poop pill. Yep. So do they just, like, set it down next to the koala's breakfast at the koala hotel and say, you're a poop pill, sir. Don't forget to review us on TripAdvisor. (laughs) Not exactly.
2: (laughs) We have something called a pill popper. Now, you might have seen this if you have a cat or a dog that you need to worm each month.
0: It's basically a stick that launches the pill into an animal's throat so that they swallow it. And from there, the pill is on its mission. The capsule had to make its way past the acid in the koala's stomach to a place where the bacteria could survive.
2: So once that capsule went past the stomach, it broke open and let the bacteria out in the hind gut, which is where they needed to be.
1: Sort of like a spy catapulting itself down the throat. It's handspringing through the stomach.
2: Yeah, once they get past the vat of acid, then they can, you know, get to the prize. (laughs) At
0: least that was the plan.
2: So the first thing we needed to do is to work out, did we actually get live microbes into the koala? Did it do what we wanted it to do?
1: How did they figure that out?
2: They waited for the koalas to poop.
1: Straightforward.
0: (laughs) If the pill had done its job, they should have found even more mess-made microbes in the poop than they put it in. And that's what they saw.
2: And we're like, great, this is what we want. We've got the bacteria in there and they're establishing and growing.
0: But the amount of bacteria was different for each koala, meaning that the microbes did better in some koala guts than others.
2: And then the next thing was to go, okay, so we've got the bacteria in there. Does it change what the koala will eat?
0: It was time for another messmate-only buffet at the koala hotel.
1: What do we got here? Messmate? Again?
0: (laughs) As the koalas approached the messmate buffet, the
2: scientist watched in anticipation.
1: Will they eat it?
2: And what we found is the ones that it worked really well for They were willing to eat quite a lot of Messmate. The ones that it didn't work as well for, not so much. They ate some, but not as much.
1: So does that mean that the fecal transplants were successful or not?
2: Michaela and her colleagues were able to give the koalas
0: new gut bacteria, and that's the main thing that they'd wanted. But... The poop transplant wasn't an instant cure for every koala's tummy troubles
2: we find also in humans when we give them fecal transplants it works for some people doesn't work so well for other people there's always a bit of variability
1: poop certainly isn't for everyone nope but michaela
0: sees these fecal transplants as a potential way to help koalas that have been moved like those from cape otway and get adjusted into their new home environments.
2: If we could give them these capsules before releasing them into a new area with different trees that they have to feed on, then that might help them to adapt to the different
1: diet. So it's sort of like a housewarming present, except instead of casserole, it's poop.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So if there's another koala crisis, the poop pill may be ready to pop in to help. But there's a bigger lesson for conservation in general.
2: So what our take-home message is, is that it looks like what a koala eats is affected by what microbes they have in their guts. And that's really important because in conservation, we do typically look at the animal and how it interacts with the environment separate from what's going on inside them.
0: In other words, conservation scientists tend to study ecosystems more than they look at digestive systems.
2: And this is saying maybe we need to take a closer look inside the animal and see what's going on there, because that's important too if we're trying to save these animals.
0: In the meantime, the koala population at Cape Otway is back to its normal size and the eucalyptus forests are slowly recovering too. The koala crisis was tragic, but Michaela says it taught her a lot about how to do science when so much is at stake. I
2: think the big thing with all of this is when anything like this happens, everybody has opinions. and. Science is one of the best ways of finding out which of those ideas is right. Going out and actually testing the idea and finding the answer. And that's how we make sure that when we make decisions in conservation, we're making the right ones based on facts and based on evidence.
0: So now it's your turn to take a closer look at animals' insides. What does your favorite animal eat? Does it have any kind of weird eating habits? And how might its gut help it eat what it eats?
1: Let us know if you find anything out that's both gross and fascinating. We're always interested in things that can be described that way.
0: Thanks today to Dr. Michaela Blyton, postdoctoral researcher at the University of Queensland in Australia. She did this research while at Western Sydney University. If you'd like to hear more from my interview with Michaela, you can listen to a special bonus interview episode on our Patreon feed, which is available to any patron who pledges a dollar a month or more at patreon.com slash
1: we also have more resources to learn about koala poop and Cape Otway on our blog at sciencepodcastforkids.com.
0: Sarah Robertson Lentz is our head of partnerships. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this
1: episode. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery.